Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Gwenda tonight. And our topic is suffering and transformation. Thinking about Easter week here, thinking about Good Friday and its relationship to Easter Sunday and so forth. Uh, I want to interrupt this broadcast to bring you an entirely frivolous announcement, which is that on uh, May the 1st, I'll be appearing in another totally not worth it cause for a concert for a totally worthwhile cause. Uh, and uh, because some people felt last time that the concert was actually worth it, we have shortened it by five minutes. So now it'll only be 55 minutes long just to make sure you don't get your money's worth and you get your full tax write-off that you need from it. Uh, so that's May 1st at the Mitchell Performing Arts Center at 7.30 p.m., and if you want to order tickets ahead of time, you can go to the delightful web address of www.bernathan.edu slash not worth it. And uh, pick up tickets, which are $50 a piece. It's a fundraiser for Bernathan College. Um, let me set this up a little bit before we say an opening prayer, good friends. Uh, we've been talking in previous weeks about Joseph. We've spent four weeks, and I don't need you to know about that to get something out of tonight. But we were talking about Joseph's story and how without having done anything wrong himself, uh, other than tell his brothers some dreams that he had, he did nothing wrong, and yet he was sold into slavery. Uh, he then became imprisoned. Uh, he was just mistreated for, for 14 years on end for having done nothing wrong. And this is an image of what Jesus went through when he was in this world, both in ways that we can't see what he was suffering at the hands of evil spirits and also what we see at the end of his life with the crucifixion and so on. And he did not earn any, you know, none of that was a punishment for something bad that he has done. Uh, it was just suffering, but it was suffering for a certain cause. And we see the amazing way that he handles the crucifixion, how he stays in a state of love and how he's transformed by it. And that's the final stage he has to go through before rising with everything from the, from the tomb. Uh, so there's something about suffering that if we're holding it in the right way can be transformative. Um, and there's an important point there, which is that there's an ugly rumor going around the last few centuries that Jesus's suffering took something away from us like he suffered so that we won't have to suffer. I'm afraid I got bad news tonight, which is that scripture teaches that no, we, we still have to suffer, but he showed that he can be with us as we go through our suffering and that there's a way of holding suffering that can be transformative. So I invite you to join us for that journey tonight and let's open with a prayer. Shall we friends? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. Thank you for your presence during this week, Lord, your presence on Good Friday as we go through repentance, as we take the Holy Supper, your presence on Sunday. Give us a taste of the joy, Lord, to see that you rose and are now at peace. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's... Uh, Let's talk about suffering and transformation. And I want to send my greetings out to all of those who are there online and people who are getting the audio and, 
and or whatever situation you may be in that this finds you. I'm very blessed to be talking to you about these important things and hard things in some ways. Uh, let's start with a scripture. Let's start in Matthew in the New Testament, shall we? Because this is a very haunting scripture. And the whole theme of tonight is, does scripture teach that Jesus on the cross prevented us from going through suffering? Did he take on suffering so we don't have to suffer? Is that the teaching of Christianity? Um, Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, shall we? And uh, this is the charge when he's sending out uh, disciples. Let's start at verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In a way, that's the advice right there, isn't it? That's the takeaway for the evening is to be as wise as serpents but harmless as doves. We certainly see that harmlessness in the Lord that even when he was being horribly mistreated, he, he didn't rage on people, he didn't take revenge on them or whatever. He was still praying for them with love, say, forgive them, they know not what they do, and so on. That's harmless as doves. Go on. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Mm, And then these kind of dire statements go on. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Mm. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Yeah, so there's no hint in there that Jesus is saying, my going through this is going to make it cushier for you. You know, it'll be easier for you because I've taken this on. You don't have to. Go on. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And then here is this statement that's been ringing in my head. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Mm, Listen to that. The disciple's not above the teacher, nor the servant above the master. Do we really think that it was Jesus' job to suffer more so we don't have to. Like he would take that on so we don't have to. You know, is that the idea? Uh, What this says is we are not more important than the Lord (laughs) that we would get out of suffering somehow, you know. Uh, And we'll talk about different types in a moment. But but, uh, we're we're not above the master. If he suffered, uh, then we need to go through things as well. Go on. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Mm. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Thank you. Yes, so that that makes it pretty clear that um, uh, if the Lord goes through this, then we will be going through this as well. 
Uh, turn to Luke, if you would. So you go through Mark to the right and get to Luke chapter 6. Hmm. Let's pick up at verse 20 and hear what the Lord is saying to his disciples here in Luke 6. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And he didn't say, you won't weep, but, but the implication is, you'll get through this. It, it'll get better. You know, good things are ahead. But he doesn't say, I'm taking away all your hunger. You'll never cry again. Not now. Uh, there will be weeping, but we get through it. Go on. Blessed are you when men hate you, mm. and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So he doesn't say there won't be some sort of persecution. And then what does he say? This shocking thing in verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Yes, the Old Testament prophets suffered, uh, and we have accounts in the Old Testament of their suffering and strange things that they had to go through. Some of them put to death. Uh, Jeremiah is thrown into a, a prison, into a pit, and... Um, and, and lots of other things. Uh, some of them had to. Uh, Ezekiel was commanded to eat uh, bread made with human dung, and he, please, please don't make me go through that. And, and they had to do strange, strange things and so on. They were going through this kind of suffering. And he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Very, I, I, you may have tried this, good friends. I've, I've actually tried to do this when I'm in my worst states. It's very difficult to jump up and down for joy. I find it a, a very difficult practice. But sometimes the best that can happen is that it makes me feel silly, and then I start to laugh a little bit, and then it starts to crack me out of the state that I'm in. Uh, but I think that the, um, there's something about that leaping for joy, like trying to get out of your low state and going up for the joy if you possibly can, and thinking about heaven thinking about it from the perspective of heaven and from these prophets who have passed on before. Uh, amazing kind of teaching. And I don't hear anything in there about how it's going to be really easy. Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of everything for you. That's not the, the feeling of it. Um, let's go back into the Old Testament, shall we? Uh, about in the middle of your Bible, there's Psalms and Isaiah are about in the middle. I want to go to the right from the middle through Isaiah and Jeremiah, and at the very end of Jeremiah, there's that little book called Lamentations. And I want to read a passage in here that I think is very, very important. Um, in chapter 3, let's start at verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Mm, and this very important verse, Lamentations 3.33. Try to commit that to memory. It's a very useful verse. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Yes. You see, we just heard two verses or in, the, in the verse immediately before. It says he causes grief, and then it says he doesn't do it willingly. Mm -hmm. You know... So he, he doesn't actually cause it. He can go through it with us. 
and so on. Uh, but he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the, the children of men. He is not, uh, you know, he, he doesn't feel neutral or happy about our suffering or whatever. It's a terrible thing, but he has a long game in mind, and there's something he wants to do for us through the things that we go through, through the difficult experiences that we go through. Christianity is such an amazing religion for having this. I can't think of anything comparable in, in other religions where you have this central figure at the end of his life goes through this suffering. It's just amazing, isn't it? And when you read the Easter story, and there's far more than we could possibly cover. We're hardly going to dip into it tonight at all. But uh, when you read the story, it's so full of drama and one thing after another. It's just this amazing tale of, of just the highest possible drama. It's amazing that this lies at the center of our religion, and, and uh, it's kind of challenging. But I think part of what it's saying is suffering is part of the path. In other words, transformation always involves suffering. Suffering does not always involve transformation, I would, I would submit. In other words, I think there are certain kinds of, tra of, of suffering uh, that don't necessarily transform us because we're not turned toward the Lord or we get embittered or, uh, you know, it, it's... It's just negative. There, there's always the possibility, depending on how we hold it, of transformation in there. Uh, but you can have suffering and no transformation. Uh, in the Lord's case, you see suffering and tremendous, uh, just nothing could, in, incomparable, nothing could compare with it, with the transformation that he goes through as a result of his suffering. There's, there's a way of holding it that it can be enormously transformative. And I've thought a lot about suffering. I've been through some suffering in my life, as I'm sure you have good friends. And um, really, if there's any room in your heart for the idea that the Lord is good, which Scripture tells us that He is, if there's any room for that thought, if there's any part of your heart that can sometimes in your elevated states can believe that or even feel like you see it, it has to be the case that suffering is a tool in the Lord's toolkit that does stuff that nothing else will do. Otherwise, He wouldn't do it. We wouldn't go through it. There has to be something that that tool does that nothing else will do in terms of compassion for other people, you know, being able to feel things that others go through. For realizing, as Swedenborg says, the entire human race is in distress. You know, there's no life that's not marked by it, that doesn't go through suffering. And the Lord's coming into this world and going through his life and his death was not designed to take away suffering from the human race. And it didn't. Look around us. There's plenty of suffering. Look in your own heart. Look in the lives of those around you. There's plenty of suffering everywhere, unimaginable suffering. It's intolerable even to think about it or to really open up to what's there. But the Lord is playing a long game, 
And there's transformation that can come out of this. If there was another tool that was better, and it's not that the Lord ever, what are we reading in Lamentations just now? He does not willingly afflict us. This is not something that he, here, this will be good for you. Take this medicine, you know. He never, he never ever does that. He grieves with us. That's where our grief comes from. Our grief is a connection with the Lord because we feel it, he's feeling it. And we receive that in our hearts as we go through grief. And he knows that there's going to be suffering in this world. Uh, let's jump to the Gospel of John, if you will, because the scripture comes to mind along these lines. Is it not John 16, verse 33? Very last verse in John chapter 16. What does Jesus say? And this is right on the eve. This is part of four chapters that the Lord tells the disciples right before he goes through the crucifixion. So this is one of the last things he says to them. And what does he say? These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes, what an important verse and one I'm sure very familiar to you. It's almost a guarantee, isn't it? He doesn't say you may, you know, you may be sub like, like one of the legal disclaimers. You know, you may be subject to certain discomfort mm. as we go through this procedure. No, it's almost a guarantee. You will in the world. You will have this. You will go through things. But be of good cheer, which is just as easy as rejoicing and leaping for joy. Uh, I have overcome the world. The Lord... That's what he did. He didn't skip around the world. He didn't dodge the difficult things about being alive in this world. He went right into the heart of it, and he overcame it. And that's what the Easter story is about and what we can get out of what he did. Uh, okay, let's go through some fun, uplifting passages. No, I'm lying as usual. Uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 16. Because I want to read some scriptures that talk explicitly. And some of these come from before the Lord's crucifixion. And some, most of them are written after the crucifixion. All of which say, make it abundantly clear that we go through some kind of crucifixion ourselves. You know, that's, that's part, of, it's part of being alive in this world. Certainly part of being transformed and following the Lord. Look at 16. Let's start at verse 24 there. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let mm. him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, whose cross would that be, dear reader? Whose his, cross are we taking his up? His cross. His like, own cross. If anyone, so it's not, Jesus didn't say, take up my cross. Yeah, his or cross. just think about me being on the cross. I'm not saying that's a terrible idea, but that's not what he said. If you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. Pretty clear, right? Mm -hmm. And follow me. And I think part of the following him is to try as much as we can to be about love, to be humble, uh, you know, uh, to, to try to love God, love the neighbor more than we love the world and love ourselves and so forth. Let the Lord transform us, even let our suffering transform us. And he goes on a little bit. What does he say there? 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, mm. and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is fundamental to Christianity, isn't it? It's sort of amazing that any other teaching ever came in the door because uh, this is fundamental, the idea that you have to lose something to, to gain something. Go on. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Yes. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Yes, thank you. We can stop there. Let's go to Luke to the right again and go to Luke 9.23. It's an absolutely parallel passage to this, but it adds one little element that wasn't in that other one. Um, and look at where it stands. Uh, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. If you have a red-letter Bible, you see it there. And in verse 22, what does he say to them? The Son of Man must suffer many things mm. and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He just lays it out there. And, and this is just one of ten times that he tells his disciples, this is what I'm going to go through and gives a lot of details like this. And then what does he say immediately after saying that very distressing thing about what he's going to go through? Then he said to them all. To them all. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Right. That's and the same take thing we read his, before. And take up his cross daily. Ah, daily. We didn't have the word daily in that other one. <laughs> and follow me. Daily. Wow, daily. It's not like, yeah, you know, when you get good and ready, you'll know the day, you know, when you should pick up that cross, when you get good and ready, when you feel like you've been... No, this is every day. This is daily, right? And then it goes on the same kind of thing, of, you know, losing your soul and gaining the whole world and so on. So it's about soul building. It's about soul building, now, those were statements that were made before the crucifixion. So let's turn to the right and go through John and Acts, and let's get to Romans, the Paul's epistle to the Romans. All of these epistles at the right-hand you know, part of the book, in the book of Revelation, all written after Jesus' crucifixion, there are a number of people in Christianity who hold the view that, when, that Jesus himself, for some reason, didn't understand his own ministry and that after he died on the cross, all the rules changed, which maybe even surprised him or some dumb idea. And so uh, that the, the main place that you want to get your good information from is from the Acts and Epistles because they're after the resurrection. Okay, well, let's play along. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 and see what Paul says to the Romans about this same subject. And with Paul, you always have to jump in the middle of a sentence. But let's look at verse 6 here. There's so much we could read. But Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Yeah, and there's an interesting translation question here, which is that the new King James says, was crucified with him. The old King James says, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. In other words, that happens to us Whenever it's not a, not a one and done deal in the past, a look at Romans chapter eight verse eleven. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
who dwells in you. Yeah, so there's some suggestion that we also go through the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, look at verses 12 and 13, very important teaching. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Mm. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And I don't think that's talking about a physical death. It's really talking about if your whole life is just about that fleshly thing, then your spirit may die. But, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Yes, the grand language of the Old King James, to mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. That's right. And have a look at verse 17. <clears throat> and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Wow, what a shocking statement. The idea that we, we suffer the way the Lord suffered and we suffer with the Lord and He was glorified and we're glorified in some sense. Uh, now, Swedenborg would say we don't become divine the way Jesus became, we don't become God all by Himself, uh, but we do become angelic if we allow ourselves to go through this. And look at that very important verse 18 that suddenly catches my eye there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the spirit in which Jesus did what he did. I want to interrupt this broadcast. Put your finger in there in Romans 8. Let's go quickly, if you can, to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, which is sort of in the middle of the epistles, like cut in half the amount that's remaining there. And... Uh, we're going for Hebrews chapter 12. It says a very striking thing about the crucifixion there for Jesus. Yeah, 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, Mm. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And why would the sin still ensnare us after Jesus had been crucified if that took care of sin? It didn't take care of sin either. Go on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that the was... The what? The joy. The joy. The joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, that's right. Jesus went through this for joy. We don't usually think of that exactly on Good Friday, do we? That, that he was going through this for joy. There was a joy that he could see right before him that he could get by going through this difficult experience of Good Friday. And isn't that amazing to go back to Romans 8, verse 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to, com to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. In other words, when you really come to see that that suffering is small compared to the transformation, it's not just like they're equal, but the transformation is much more powerful. Uh, that helps us get through it. And look at verse 36. Mm, wow. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. Yeah, it's not bad enough that you have to take up your cross every day, but you're killed all day long. Yeah, all day. It's not just a certain part of the day. This is, and what it's talking about is that gradual death of the lower self 
you know, of those old desires, the old lusts, the old the pride and so forth that we have in our lower selves. That's that painful, gradual process. You can't be transformed without that suffering. We, we have to let go of that. Something does have to die in order for us to be raised up to a higher level. Yes, and go on. Let's just read the rest of those two verses because they're in the same spirit with everything else we're talking about. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Mm. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, that's right. Through the Lord, we're able to be successful in this situation. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What does this add to the picture here? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A what? A living sacrifice. Mm, a living, oh, a living, yeah, that's every day. That's all day, every day, isn't it? Isn't that that same spirit that present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Go on. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Mm, go on. And do not be conformed to this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the word. We're talking about suffering and transformation. That's right. That you may prove what... It, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Yes, it's the will of the Lord that He bring us through this. He doesn't willingly afflict any of us, but our own problems occasion these things. But the Lord can bring us through and transform us and raise us up so that we're in a very different state at the end than when we started. Have a look at 1 Corinthians. So the very next one to the right, 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 6. Look at verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Yeah. Right? We go through the same thing that didn't say anything about us getting off the hook. Uh, we go through the same kind of thing that the Lord goes through. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul's astonishing statement in 15 verse 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. He's going through that process that Jesus suggested he go through in Luke 9.23, that he's taking up his cross daily and going through this. Um, it's a process, and the cru this is all after the crucifixion. It didn't take that away, uh, but we'll see in a moment what it does do for us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, so turn to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Always. I don't like this language. Go on. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Yes, and look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Yeah, so this is emphasizing the human side of the divine human very much, isn't it? That, that we go through a, a similar thing to what Jesus went through. Uh, okay, turn to the right and you get to Galatians. Let's look at some quick verses in here. How about Galatians chapter 2? And look at verse 20, right toward the end of the chapter there. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue that we don't go through it, right? And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, a very important uh, statement there, because it gives you some clue as to what it means by this crucifixion that we go through. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yes, the passions and desires, or in the language of the old King James, the affections and lusts, uh, this is what causes the pain when we're giving up things that we love like that. Uh, and so in order to belong to the Lord, we need to go through this and, and give up these things. We go through a process. Oh, look at chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Mm, and verse 17. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What an amazing statement. Just even having the, even having the mark going through the same thing that the Lord went through. So it's not as though... He, I, I'm not saying what Jesus went through had no effect at all. He did complete. He said, now is the prince of this world cast out. Uh, you know, I, I've completed the work that the, you gave me to do, he says to the Father. And, and um, uh, it is finished, he says, and so on. Uh, there was a tremendous work that he did in terms of battling hell and gaining control over the hells. What he gave us, which most Christians don't realize, is a state of equilibrium where hell doesn't automatically have more power over us than, than forces of good. He put us back to equilibrium, to a level playing field. That's what he did, which is a tremendous accomplishment that only he could have done by being divine and being in this world. Uh, that did not take the game away from us. You know, he leveled the playing field. Now we're going to play the game. And there, there will be suffering and, and trouble and all those things that he said we'll experience in this world. Turn to the right, if you will, and go to Hebrews. Uh, oh, I guess we should read Colossians chapter 3. Uh, it's just the same kind of thing. Look at 3 verse 5. You have to mortify your members that are on the earth and gives a list of things we have to give up uh, because it talks in verse 1 there about being risen with Christ. So this is, this, you know, we're supposed to go through this. So in other words, the scripture in very literal way is associating Jesus' crucifixion with a process of transformation that we go through in working through our issues, in working through the evil things and false things that are in our hearts and minds. And look at verse 5 there. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Yeah. Very clearless. In other words, those are psychological kind of things, aren't they? They're things in the human heart and mind that we need to be addressing. All right, turn to the right and let's go through the books that begin with a T and we'll get to the Hebrews. Uh, chapter 2. This is another very, very important um, passage here. This is talking about Jesus and it starts in verse 16 in chapter 2. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does, does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. See, this is talking about how he was made human and in his outward self was just like us. He was a baby as we were, you know, he was a teenager, went, went through all the stages of life just as we do. And why did he go through that? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make appropriation for the sins of the people. Well, now that last bit almost sounds a little bit like he did do something, like he just took care of sins and so we don't have to go through them. But read verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Okay, so whatever that meant with all that propitiation and stuff at the end of verse 17, it didn't mean we're not going to go through temptations, right? Because it says in verse 18, in that, meaning the fact that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. You see, he didn't come to take away our temptations. He came to be able to be present with us as we go through those temptations and make them effective from his power so that we're truly transformed. Uh, oh, just a couple more Scriptures on this point, dear and patient friends, turn to the right and go through James and you'll get to 1 Peter. I want to look at chapter 2, which gets into suffering a little bit here. Look at verse 19. And it's just been telling people to be good and to be gentle and so on. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Mm, that's what Joseph went through, right? He endured grief. He suffered wrongfully. Go on. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Mm. But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Yeah, so you see what it's saying, that if, if you're doing the wrong thing and then you take your punishment well, that's no great credit to you. You did the wrong thing. But if you're not doing anything wrong and you suffer for it uh, and you endure it patiently, this is good. The, the, the Lord likes us. And look at verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Yes, you see, he did suffer for us, but in the sense that he was giving us an example, not that he was taking something away. And verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Mm, and verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. Mm. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's right. That, that's a beautiful statement, isn't it? Mm. That is the way. Now, I submit to you, friends, I've, I've been sort of doing a thought experiment lately. I... I think the crucifixion was, uh, um, it might be foolish to describe it this way, but it was a test of a kind. Temptations are something of a test. Uh, I believe that that's a test that anyone other than Jesus would, would fail that test. The, the test that he went through was something only divine love itself could pass. That was the nature of the test. So we go through something. But obviously what we go through is in another sense. It's almost silly to have all these passages about how we get crucified because what we go through is, is mild in comparison with what Jesus went through. 
Um, we, we go through anguish of the soul. We go through all kinds of things, and we feel for others who go through difficult things, and life is full of suffering and distress. Uh, but there was a level of suffering that he experienced uh, because he was God himself uh, that we know absolutely nothing about, and we, and we never will. It was far beyond our ability to imagine it. And any one of us, I submit, would have caved instantly. And I think the evidence for that is the fact that all the disciples just scattered. You know, I mean, John stayed there and, and some of the women were watching and so on. Uh, but mo most of them just fled and, and uh, Peter even uh, denied him, you know, three times. And uh, I, I think that's sort of a picture of how we would react in that test. And you see, even when the Lord is abandoned, even when he's alone, even when he's going through one horror after another, he just stays with the love. He just stays with the love. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And he doesn't, he doesn't lash out. And he, he just stays the course. And his victory in that is what um, caused Easter morning to happen, the amazing thing that transpired there. <coughs> Our last reading for this evening, could you turn back to the middle of your book to Psalms? It's to the left of Isaiah and all that. Let's go to Psalm 90. Um, there are many passages like this. Oh, maybe I can... Did I write down another one? Um, Psalm 90, let's have a look at Psalm 90 verse... Let's do verse 13 and go down from there. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us and the years in which we have seen evil. You see that? Uh, so in other words, it's not that we're not going to be afflicted and not that we're not going to see evil, but we pray for some, uh, something that will compensate in some way. And actually, what the Lord is saying, when you really see it from a spiritual perspective, uh, all the suffering of this world is absolutely nothing to the joy in heaven. You know, eternal joy, like it can't compare. There's just absolutely no comparison uh, to, the, to the peace and the oneness with the Lord and the joy of being with billions and billions of angels. And the nature of heaven is that every single joy that every angel has is shared with every single other angel. Some of you heard me talk about this before. You have hundreds of billions of Facebook friends in heaven. <laughs> and you know every good thing that's happening to all of them. They all share their joy with everybody. It's just unimaginable. Just even a day in that makes this whole lousy life worth it, let alone an eternity of that. You know, there's actually no, it's not just make us glad according to the years in which you have, you know, ah, there's not even any comparison. It, it's so much better. And yet this world is kind of convincing, isn't it, while we're in it? It sort of does you know, feel sometimes like we're getting a raw deal or something, and, and it's a painful, difficult life. Uh, the other passage I wanted to look at was um, Psalm 126. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 126. Oh, let's read the whole thing here. Mm. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Mm. You see, this is after the captivity. This is after hundreds of years of, of, of long captivity. 
and they're brought back, they get to go back to Zion, and then it's like you pinch me, you know, I, 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 I must be dreaming. Then their mouth is full of laughter, go on. And our tongue with singing. Mm. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Yes, he has done great things for us. That's right. Go on. Whereof we are glad. Mm. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. As the streams in the south. And then listen to these last two verses. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Mm. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Yes, and this is a harvest metaphor, obviously. And uh, again, it just suggests that, well, you're weeping. And what does it say? Weeping shall endure for a night, you know, elsewhere in the song, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, it sounds like, okay, you, you weep for uh, sowing the seed, but then by harvest you're re rejoicing. But actually, the rejoicing is far, far greater than the little bit of weeping. And that's what Hebrews 12 means when it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame and um, that he went through all those things for joy. This was, this was for the joy and not a joy that was remote or theoretical, but a joy that was set before him. Uh, another thought that you may have heard me say before, good friends, if you've been around this Bible study a while, is that I find it a very compelling thought that everything that happened at the time of the Lord's life in this world was just a little miniature, it was just a little play of what was going to transpire in the human race over millennia, tens of thousands of years going forward into the future. And that still 2,000 years later, this is not some distant memory that we sort of Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. What did he do again? Uh, that's not what this is all about. This is about something whose promise has not yet, uh, you know, we're, we're hardly, the, the darkness is, is not over yet. The, the dawn has hardly started to come yet. Uh, there are fantastically wonderful things that the Lord has in store for the human race a closeness, a presence of God. He says in Joel chapter 2, he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. Everybody's going to be prophesying. He says in the, in the prophets that no one will have to ask anybody who the Lord is. They'll all know me from the greatest of them to the least of them. He says in Zephaniah chapter 2 that he will be a wall of fire all around Jerusalem. He'll be the glory in her midst. There's a picture of the Lord's presence that's going to come into this world. Uh, uh, of the in Isaiah 9 verse 6 of the increase of his government and peace there'll be no end not just there won't be any end of his government and peace but there'll be end, no end of the increase it's going to keep increasing 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 these are the promises of the New Testament and they haven't even uh, scarcely been fulfilled yet we're, we're just beginning the process of that of the resurrection and of the glory that's going to happen in terms of the presence of the Lord in this world. So it's, it's a, it is a dark and painful night, friends. It is a difficult time to be alive, I think, and, and I think it pretty much always has been. But there are bright things ahead. And if we are willing to take up our cross, and isn't, isn't it interesting, it's not his cross, 
It's our own cross. You've probably heard those kind of stories about how it's just custom fitted to each one of us. We have our self-sized cross to bear. Uh, but if we are facing the Lord, if we're turning toward the Lord, if we're seeking Him, uh, this can be something that transforms us. And the Lord is patient. He'll, he'll hang in there with us and we stumble sometimes. We do the wrong thing, whatever. But the Lord will hang in there with us and He'll bring us through all these events. Swedenborg says in a beautiful passage that when you're in the stream of providence, which means you're following the Lord and you're turned in the right direction, every single thing that happens to you is, is part of your transformation. And we can't see it while we're alive in this world. So many of the things seem horrible or random or stupid or whatever, horrifying. But when we look back, we'll be able to see that all those things were for our good. If we could see the presence of the Lord, even now in what's going on, we could see this amazing mercy of God that's at work all over the place in tiny little levels, in great huge levels transforming society and working on the human heart. And I'll tell you, the nature of God is He doesn't give up on, on the worst devils in hell. He never gives up on anybody, ever. It's all a question of how much are we willing to tolerate an improvement to our lives. So if we can only tolerate a little bit, He'll improve it a little bit. If we can tolerate a lot, He can lift us up. If we're sick of everything and we want to be completely transformed, He can do, he can do that too. He, he can transform us entirely. Uh, the Lord calls on us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And the Lord wants to make a better world for all of us. That's what Easter is all about. It's about suffering, but it's about transformation through suffering. And the transformation beats any suffering and is worth any suffering. Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's so amazing to contemplate the fact that you bowed the heavens, that you came down into this world, that you went through every day of human existence with all its sorrows and joys and triumph and growth and confusion, that you went through all of it, Lord God, and you went through it even more quickly and thoroughly than we do. We thank you, Lord, for this reminder that you were tempted. You went through being tested and going through severe temptations in order to be able to be present with us, with each one of us by some miraculous means, with each one of us, when we go through that dark night of the soul, whatever it is that we're going through, you are more present than we could ever imagine and more than we often realize. We thank you, Lord, for all the beauty of existence. We pray what you told us to pray at the end of Psalm 90. Let the beauty of our God be upon us and strengthen the work of our hands for us. Yes, strengthen the work of our hands. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. It's the best way to turn toward him.